The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Let's try that again. My Take Radio episode 337, powered by Rageworks. Our call in number 347-324-3541. Again, that call in number 347-324-3541. All right, had to do a bit of a redo. Uh, We were having some audio issues. For those of you that joined us at 11, I'm sure you didn't have any audio or any video or any of the stuff. So we apologize for that. But yes, you are listening to the MMA and Wrestling edition of My Take Radio, which broadcasts live every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Our gaming and entertainment editions air every Wednesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And um, you'll be able to join us for that tomorrow night as well. Slick, I don't know where my tablet is, so I cannot mute it. So if you're going to send me any messages, just... Try and refrain from doing so or send me private messages in the chat. Otherwise, the sound is going to come out in the background. Anyway, if this is your first time tuning in, uh, My Take Radio airs twice a week covering mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, which is what you're watching now, and gaming and entertainment on Thursdays. Video versions of this show can be watched on YouTube, Vaughn Live, Stream Up, Restream, and a host of other video providers. Archived episodes are available on YouTube on our two channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rage Works. All right, so lots to discuss. Obviously, we are going to announce the winners of our WWE Pop Contest. Uh, we are going to go right into the randomizer and pick a guy out. And um, we're going to give one lucky listener, reader, viewer depending on how you consume our content, five WWE Pops, Roman Reigns, The Rock, Brie Bella, Paige, and Andre the Giant. Uh, Really looking forward to awarding this out. Uh, Great partnership with our friends at Entertainment Earth. We had an incredible turnout. Uh, Almost 200 people entered the contest. Um, Some people, you know, followed directions to a T. Others didn't, but still... Almost 200 people entered. We are incredibly thankful for such an amazing turnout. I'm sure our friends and partners at Entertainment Earth will be pumped to hear that. But um, 
really excited to award this out. Uh, one of the things I did want to mention, and this was something that a lot of people uh, were asking about over the last couple of days, is are we going to be doing contests like this in the future? Well, if you guys look behind me, you'll see there's a table of stuff back there, which is stuff from Toy Fair that we are hopefully going to be giving out shortly after we conclude this contest. Maybe we will launch uh, something for Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice since we got a lot of toys from that. And um, we're probably also going to do some stuff with Captain America. We have a Marvel Legends Captain America to give away from the Marvel Legends line. Uh, also got some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff. So we may do stuff in tandem with those particular events. We'll see what happens. But right now, we are going to reward the Pops, which according to our little randomizer here... The winner of the five pops from Entertainment Earth is Colin Salazar. Colin Salazar entered uh, via the site and actually answered the question that we posed with which superstar past present would you like to see in pop vinyl form? Uh, Many people had some really awesome entries. HBK, Aiden English, Finn Balor, lots of Finn Balors. Uh, Lita, AJ Styles, of course, Stardust, and um, Colin came through with a very interesting entry, and again, it was it was totally random that we picked it because of our partnership with Gleam, which is our provider for the contest. Uh, Colin answered a three-pack of pops featuring the three faces of Foley. Now, originally, I had thought about it would be cool if they did, you know, the McMahons, Vince, Stephanie, and and now Shane as a three-pack, but I hadn't thought of uh, the many, the, the you know, the three faces of Foley, but um, Colin actually entered that as his entry. He is um, from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, supporting the Rageworks brand from the Great White North. Uh, Mortis, who's in the chat, mentioned that he picked Jake the Snake. You know what's funny, Mortis? The uh, the funny thing that you mentioned about that is that we don't see the emails or the names of the people that enter. The, the Everything is blanked out, and we only see locations. So, you know, we had a lot of people in the U.S. We had a lot of people in Canada. And um, you were one of the few people that entered Jake the Snake. You were probably the second person. Uh, third person, actually. Three people entered Jake the Snake, and um, I was I was shocked, you know? So many people got love for Jake the Snake. It was really cool to see that. Um, I, think, I think it would be an awesome pop. I mean, we're getting so many of the retro superstars, including Sting, Ric Flair, Bret Hart, who we saw at um, Toy Fair, and a couple of others. But to see Jake the Snake get so much love... Uh, HBK, like I said, Lita was another entrant, uh, you know, another name that was tossed out there. And of course, Vince, which um, I definitely wouldn't mind a Mr. McMahon pop, but um, definitely grateful for all the people that entered. Colin, I will be reaching out to you via email to get your information so that we can pass it on to Entertainment Earth and send you your prize. Again, the winner is Colin from Toronto, Ontario, Canada who won the five pops from Entertainment Earth. All right, so with that out of the way, got to address what we're going to be talking about tonight. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Bellator 149 card, which was 
interesting to say the least. Uh, we're going to get into that and the fallout from that event. We're also going to be discussing the UFC Fight Night card, which interestingly enough had played a bit of a factor into what's going on with UFC 196. We're going to definitely get into that as well as what happened with Rafael Dos Anjos, Conor McGregor, and um, Nick Diaz. We're going to definitely take a deep dive into that. We're going to talk about WWE Fastlane. We're going to talk about Raw, of course. And as always, we will take your calls 347-324-3541-347-324-3541. Before we get the ball rolling with some MMA, got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, David, that emailed me earlier today um, asking about the dial tones that came out in a previous recording of the show. Um, I appreciated the heads up. I gave him, I responded to him. Uh, didn't know that that actually snuck through since I try to edit those out whenever Blog Talk Radio decides to be utter shit. But um, oddly enough, we ended up uh, going back and re-editing it and we'll be re-uploading episode 333 with those dial tones removed. Uh, shout out to Dave for that. Uh, he also asked a couple of questions about some other stuff and made some commentary, which uh, definitely I'm going to take to heart. Uh, going forward, but um, appreciate the feedback as always, and uh, we're going to try and make sure that that does not happen in any other episodes. All right, so with that, let's switch gears and jump into this week's MMA. All right, so I want to start with Bellator 149. Um, That occurred this past Friday, main event. Kimbo Slice, Dada 5000, co-main, Hoist Gracie, Ken Shamrock. A lot of other solid fights on the card. I was really looking forward to seeing Melvin Gillard mix it up. Uh, He was scheduled to take on Derek Campos. Uh, I was rooting for Melvin going into this, obviously. Um, You know, he was professing a lot of uh, love to his mentor, uh, Mel, uh, you know, Kevin Randleman, and the thing was, Melvin came in real aggressive, looked good, but he got caught, and that's one of the things that always bothered me about Melvin when he was in the UFC, super aggressive, um, you know, he was super aggressive coming in, and he just ended up getting tagged, and it was funny because they exchanged, Campos took him down, uh, Campos actually went for submission from half guard, started dropping the hammers, and, um, when they got back up to their feet, Campos took two big swings and it was a wrap, you know, after, you know, the the end of the first, second round started, they came back and Campos measured really well and delivered, you know, he delivers just one punch and Melvin Gillard crumbled. Uh, really, really crazy stuff. I was, like I said, bummed out to see Gillard lose uh, in such fashion. I think that he's an incredibly exciting fighter to watch and, um... You know, I was I was really, really bummed out about it. Now, I did want to talk about, and this this was the thing that got me, uh, Kimbo Slice and Dada 5000 I'm going to get into, but I do want to talk about the Shamrock-Gracie fight because a lot of people came into this um, this fight thinking that Ken Shamrock was going to use the, his larger size to bully Hoist Gracie and, poss- and possibly take the fight on the stand-up. Turns out that was not the case as Hoist Gracie actually 
ended up securing the victory via TKO in the first round after catching Ken Shamrock with a knee to the face, at which point he fell, and then it was academic hammer fists to wrap things up. Now, the thing that gets me about this fight is, you know, you had all this pomp and circumstance coming in, all this, you know, all this history, and the fight just, I don't know, it looked, it looked, it was, it looked really slow, really, like, those guys didn't need to be out there, and um, I was, you know, I was bummed, I was bummed with the way it went, Um, you know, it's funny, because Val says, you sure it wasn't a knee to the nuts, I felt that the knee that might have hit him in the nuts ended up just grazing, and the thing was, Shamrock didn't exactly react immediately, and I hate to say it, dude, but if you get kneed in the fucking nuts, you're reacting immediately. You're not reacting two minutes later, you're reacting on the spot, and that was kind of what threw me off. I kind of felt that he tried to use that as a, uh, you know, kind of as an excuse, honestly, because the way it looked, and I saw the replay, I'm like, oh, you know, the knee was closed but not that close, you know, and it was funny because Mortis says he grabbed his midsection after the knee to the face, it was either a really delayed reaction from the last knee 15 seconds prior or he faked it, yeah, yeah, but but think about it, and and Mortis, you know, Mortis, um, you know, uh, mixed martial artist uh, himself at, at one point, he knows, it's like even though you're wearing a cup, if you accidentally get kneed, that's not a, a 15 second delay, this isn't, this isn't a, you know, a, a tape delayed fight. This is Johnny on the spot. You get need in the cup. You're crumbling to the ground. And that's kind of what threw me off. I think that what ended up happening was I think Ken got caught and he realized that he was, he was fading and he was trying to use that to buy himself some time. Obviously, if if you get need in the groin, you, be, I believe you get what? Five minutes, three to five minutes to recover. And then you can continue. I think he was trying to use, the uh the groin shot to to stop it thank you mortis five minutes you know i think he was trying to leverage those five minutes to you know catch his breath and maybe get any cobwebs out that he might have had from getting need in the head and that's kind of what i thought about i think i'm like man i think ken got caught he got sloppy and um he paid the price for it again you know you could watch the fight from a dozen different angles I watched it on two separate occasions. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think the groin shot connected. In any case, though, he did get kneed in the face. You got to call a spade a spade. He did get kneed in the face, and he was not intelligently defending himself with the hammer fists that he was catching from Hoist Gracie. Um, You know, Shamrock, of course, was was angry about the knee that grazed his cup, but I I just I just don't feel that that Hoist Gracie did was in the wrong. In that, I think that it was a very, very tight exchange. It might have been close, but it, the contact wasn't strong enough to where he he should, you know, keel over dead. Again, if there was contact, it wasn't it wasn't super. Uh, it, it wasn't a, an impactful piece of contact. That's all I'm saying. But you know, it was it was a fight that many people thought was going to be, you know, was going to live up to the hype. I knew from the start that it wasn't. Obviously. You look at that fight and you say to yourself, damn, you know, um, you know, it was uh, it was one of those fights where it could have gone either way, honestly, only because of age and experience. I mean, obviously, if it would have gone to the ground, I would have given the edge to Hoist Gracie. I would never in a million years have thought I would have never have thought that Hoist would have finished the fight on the feet. Definitely would have thought it was going to go on the ground. 
Mortis adds that first knee from Hoist Ken was still able to return a knee back to him. If that was the knee that actually hit him in the nuts. That's all, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you watch those replays, things look incredibly sketchy. But in any case, you know, it, it was exactly what you would expect from two older elder statesmen in the sport going out there and trying to mix it up. It was going to end very, very quickly. I, I knew that it wasn't going to go the distance only because I just I just didn't see it happening. Which leads me to, of course, Kimbo and <laughs> and, and, and Dada 5,000 calories. A uh, couple of things. The the buildup for this fight, a lot of people, you know, they they reached out to me. They were like, "Yo, man, what the fuck am I watching? Why does this? Why is this fight so terrible?" Blah 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 blah. And and here's the first thing: when we entered into this fight as fans, we should have known that this was not going to be pretty. It wasn't. Even when I talked about it last week. I said, this isn't going to be a pretty fight. I think that it's going to be a fight that's going to, that has the potential to be incredibly sloppy, but you know, it's a freak show fight. So you got to go in there with an open mind and the expectation that it's really going to be bad. And I'll be honest. I felt that the fight was about as bad as you would expect from two guys that really have no business being in the cage. And I hate to say that. Because again, both guys did training camps of some sort, and the end result of that training camp was obviously them going in there and fighting for, you know, 15 minutes. The thing that gets me is that, um, you know, the, the fight, when you look at it, especially when you watch it more than once, you see that those guys were just, they were just walking through each other's punches by the end of the second round. Um, you know, there was, there was an instance where they were, they were stood up from full mount, uh, Kimbo slice had full mount and they ended up sta- being stood up and which was crazy to me. I'm like, yo, how are you standing these guys up? If Kimbo is in dominant position, they ended up standing them up. And at that point we go into the third round and Kimbo, he was throwing some really sloppy punches and at that point, just Dada 5000 crumbled from exhaustion. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, Kimbo won via, you know, via TKO. But I think that Kimbo won because Dada 5000 was practically dying. And that's the thing that gets me. The guy was, the guy got stretchered out of there. And we're going to get into the fallout from that later on in the MMA segment. But just when you look at that fight, Like I said, I had no preconceived notions coming in that this was going to be a spectacle or anything overly technical. I knew that this was going to be a slugfest from bell to bell. What I didn't expect was that there was going to be such a huge, you know, just a a, a huge output of of just exhaustion. I mean, those guys, by the end of the second, it it just looked, it looked terrible. It looked really, really bad. And, And again... You know, a lot of people say, yeah, but those guys went out there. They gave it 15 minutes. You know, if you fought for that long trying to keep up that pace, you'd get gassed. And, and here's the thing. I, I understand that. And I, and I also understand that fighters are going to have to work on conditioning. But I felt that from the start of the fight, those guys were already gassed. I felt that in round one, they were already gassed. Like by the time by the time we were reaching the end of the round, Kimbo Slice was breathing heavy. 
mouth was open, mouth guard wasn't even tightly clenched. He was just he was dying. He was he was dying, you know. And that's that's the thing that kills me that there was no no type of it, it looked like two drunk uncles fighting at a barbecue. You know, that that's what it looked like or it looked like like two guys, two drunk bums fighting over the last bit of scotch in the bottle at in Central Park. And, and and I don't like saying that because again, these guys they go out there, they put in that work. You know, they did some sort of a training camp. They did uh, Dada 5,000 from what's been said, he lost 40 pounds leading into this fight to make the 265 pound weight limit, which again, think about it. Dada 5,000 lost 40 pounds to make the 265 pound weight limit for heavyweight. What it, that means that that guy was walking around at a, a little over 300 pounds. Think about that. He, a 40 pound cut and the dude was, the dude weighed that's the thing that kills me. This guy's walking around at, at around 300 pounds beforehand. He had to drop 40 pounds to make the 265. Again, don't misunderstand. He made weight. You know, when the weigh-ins came up, he was clean on the scale. But again, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, yo, man, this guy had to drop 40 pounds just to make 265. Val says whoever sanctioned that fight should be fired. But... There's there's a lot of fallout from this fight, from this fight card. And I'm going to get into it after I talk about uh, this past weekend's UFC event. Only because there's so many things that happened due to this fight between Joe Rogan getting into hot water. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, statements from Dada 5000's family. Uh, stuff regarding the promoters. There's so much stuff I want to get into, but I want to at, at least cover... Uh, the UFC fight night card. So let me let me jump into that. Um, that fight night card actually was pretty good because, you know, Donald Cerrone making his debut at 170 was definitely the point of, of you know, much interest. Uh, the Ashley Evans-Smith-Marion Renault fight was another fight I really was looking forward to seeing. I ended up watching that fight later on. Ashley Evans-Smith took the fight via split decision, which I found to be very strange, only because Marion Renault was the aggressor pretty much throughout most of the fight. I don't know why the judges went the way they did um, because Marion Renault was definitely the aggressor for the bulk of that fight. I, I don't understand why that went the way it did. I've, if I heard correctly, I believe that Marion Renault is actually contesting that decision uh, strictly because she feels that the judges were may have been confused as to who was Renault and who was Evan Smith. Again, not sure about that, but I obviously will keep you guys uh, informed if anything happens from her contesting that decision. Now, I do want to talk about, and this this fight, obviously, I was, I was really pumped for only because I knew that going in, there was going to be, you know, there, there was a lot of, there was a possibility of it ending quickly. It was uh, Tatsuya Kawajiri taking on Dennis Bermudez. Kawajiri came in ranked number 12. Uh, Bermudez came in ranked number eight. I thought that the fight was actually going to end rather quickly only because Kawajiri is a bit of a grinder and um, I was really rooting for him to take that fight. Turns out that Bermudez ended up securing the victory via unanimous decision. Um, I think I think overall Bermudez just came out of the gate swinging. He looked really good in round two. He looked solid in round three as well. 
Uh, Kawajiri in the first round looked really crisp. I thought that that was going to be um, the wave of momentum he was going to ride into the next round. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Obviously, um, Bermudez just was had better conditioning, had crisper strikes, and um, had some really, really good exchanges in the later rounds to take the victory via unanimous decision. Now, I do want to talk about Rowan Carnero and Derek Brunson only because I said last week that Brunson was a, um, you know, he was a very solid talent in the middleweight division, uh, ranked number 13, Carnero ranked 15 going into this fight. Um, You know, Derek Brunson, like I said, incredibly talented, looked really good. Um, He ended up catching a hard right, Carnero, and at that point, once he got caught, it was academic with uh, Derek Brunson bringing the pain with the strikes. Uh, Solid finish for him. Uh, Alex Oliveira, Donald Cerrone, the Battle of the Cowboys. Uh, Donald Cerrone looked really good at 170. I think the weight cut was a piece of cake for him. Um, You know, he had a two-inch height advantage going into the fight, but Oliveira had a longer reach. Um, Again, really good exchanges. Ended up going to the ground, at which point Oliveira landed in half guard, but Cerrone passed to mount and ended up locking a triangle. Um... And tightens it up. Oliveira tapped, you know, easy peasy. Uh, triangle choke, two minutes in the first round. Uh, great showing by Donald Cerrone. Again, uh, very, very solid 170-pound debut. I think that Cerrone is going to benefit from being at 170. I think he's going to be able to keep his power. He's going to not have to go through as much of a weight cut at, versus making the cut to 55. Um, I think I think 170 is definitely a good weight for him. Uh, the guy, you know, the guy's a, a warrior through and through, and I honestly thought that he was going to come in and um, step up for Rafael Dos Anjos with the injury announcement, but we'll get into that later on in the segment. But with that said, overall, both cards were interesting for their own reasons, some better than others. Now, you know, let's talk uh, fight night bonuses, $50,000 where I was handed out. Uh, Donald Cerrone took a bonus, Chris Camozzi took a bonus, and Fight of the Night Honors went to Lauren uh, Lauren Murphy and Kelly Fassholtz. So those were the 50K bonuses handed out. All right, so let's talk about the Bellator 149 fallout. As I said earlier on in in the segment, uh, Kimbo Slice, Dada 5000 met in what many are deeming the worst MMA fight of all time. Uh, debatable, depending on how long you've been a fan. Uh, not the prettiest, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, like I said, two drunk uncles fighting at a barbecue, uh, bum fights champion. There's a lot of jokes there. Again, I can't take too much away from these guys. They fought the full 15 minutes, uh, even though it was an incredibly uneventful 15 minutes. But in any case, post-fight Dada 5000 was stretchered out. Uh, ended up being hospitalized due to renal failure and severe dehydration. Um, you know, according to what his family said, um, he ext- he ac- accumulated extremely high levels of potassium in his blood, which led to severe dehydration, fatigue, and renal failure. Uh, the elevated levels of potassium are most likely caused by the 40-pound weight loss in preparation for the fight. Now, according to doctors and his family, uh, Dada is well on the road to recovery, um, but it was definitely very, very scary. Uh, A couple of things I got to talk about. First and foremost, 
the guy came in with an incredibly high level of, you know, he came into the fight with high levels of potassium, uh, which definitely were questionable. Now, the thing that makes me, you know, and I had this discussion last night uh, with, with Jimbo Slice. We were talking about this card. Uh, a lot of jokes were made, which I will address. But um, the fact is that you're going to go into this fight with um, pre-fight testing, blood work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did nobody notice anything going on with Dada 5000 before he stepped into the cage? And if so, who thought that it was a good idea for him to go in there? Now, you know, when I was discussing it with Jimbo Slice yesterday, we were talking about, you know, diuretics being a factor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the guy cut down from 300 to make the 265-pound cutoff, the 265-pound cutoff, and pretty much almost died because of it. Now, you know, uh, he was seen using oxygen after the fight, which you could probably see if you watched the replay, and then he was stretchered out. The thing is, and here's, here's a couple of factors. Dada 5000 hadn't fought professionally in five years prior to Bellator 149. Um, obviously, fighters are required to provide documentation that they are fit to compete, but who knows? Who knows what the hell is going on? You know, you can have a doctor fucking doctor up some paperwork. We've seen it before. Um, I just feel that the fact that that guy almost died out there is incredibly scary. Not even the fact that the fight was terrible by any by any stretch of the imagination. It was it was not good. But the fact is that a guy almost died in the cage. And here's the thing. To the layman, to the uninformed, all MMA fighting is called UFC. It's no different than somebody calling a tissue Kleenex even if it's made by another company. It's just the association that goes with the name. Now... In this case, if Dada 5000 would have died as a result of this fight, it would have not only been a black eye for Bellator, it would have been a black eye for the sport as a whole only because all the questions would have been raised, who was watching, why didn't anybody do anything, the usual the usual questions. And and the thing that bothers me about this as a fan is that nobody thought to themselves, "Hey, we should make sure that this guy's medicals are in check." You got to remember, the guy hadn't fought in five years prior to Bellator 149. That should have raised a red flag off the bat. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, in the, we're in the fight business, and the fight business means that people need to watch the freak shows happen. And the scary thing is, two million people watch that card, including my dumbass. Two million people tuned in to watch that, which validates that there's a market for fucking freak show fights. My issue with the whole freak show fight phenomenon is the fact that you're willing to jeopardize the safety of your fighters, the the reputation of your organization for what? For for a decent share on Spike TV that night? Uh, you know, as a, as somebody who who follows the sport, if I were an up and coming fighter, a younger fighter, or even a guy who's been in Bellator for a while, and I had to play, I had to take a back seat to a freak show fight or a fight between two old timers, I would be upset. I mean, in terms of buy rate and people tuning in, sure, it's understandable people are going to want to see that. But in the grand scheme of things, I just feel that it's not fair to the other fighters to put these guys in such prominent position. Think about it. You're taking a guy who hasn't fought in five years, five years, 
and you're making you're making the presumption that he's going to go out there and deliver you know a memorable fight against a guy who's only you know whose claim to fame is YouTube street fights. It's it's crazy. I mean, I like Kimbo Slice. I'm, I'm a fan of his. I mean, I got a Kimbo Slice figure upstairs from from the UFC line from back in the day, and um, I always felt that he respected the sport. He um, you know he he tried to do what he could, but sometimes you just come into the game too late. You know, not everyone is Herschel Walker or you know Randy the Natural Couture at one point. There's there's only some certain people that have that potential to come in and be successful in the sport. And even in the case of Herschel Walker, who is a consummate professional and a legit martial artist, I do feel that his fights were hand, you know, his his opponents were handpicked to make sure he didn't get hurt out there. Again, what does it matter if you're going to get a 2 if you're going to get 2 million people tuning in when one of the participants in your fight nearly gets killed? Does that does it does it really matter at this point? And and that's the thing. I think for me, you know, Dada five thousand came in. Dude was a train wreck. Um, you know, people were talking about the pre-fight testing, what was done. Uh, MMA Junkie actually did a little digging about it, which I'm going to get into. Um, they met with the Texas Combative Sports Program and the TCSP spokesperson told MMA Junkie that Harris passed all his medical requirements for competing at the show, but that they would check to see if there is anything they need to change. I don't know, not putting a motherfucker that hadn't fought in five years and weighed 300 pounds in a fight card is a start. Um, You know, the thing was that the commission was saying that they're going to reevaluate and see if they're going to change their procedures. Uh, They did, of course, make sure to note that both fighters passed all the necessary exams, including an EEG and an EKG. They also passed their pre-fight medicals uh, where they were checked for signs of dehydration and hypertension. What doctor was doing the check? The fucking doctor from The Simpsons? Oh, you okay? Your heartbeat a little messed up, but you okay? You go out there. Like, I'm serious. Like, who was doing the pre-fight testing that they didn't notice dehydration and hypertension when the guy goes into the hospital and he has fucking potassium overload what fucking doctor did that that's a that's a that's a big 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 red flag for me especially when i read that on 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 mma junkie i said to myself so let me get this straight the guy passed his eeg his ekg his pre-fight medical and allegedly displayed no signs of dehydration and hypertension. So in the span of 15 minutes, he went from zero to almost dead. That's what you're saying. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I just feel that it's not right. Like something definitely was amiss. And it led to a guy almost dying out there. And that's some really, really scary shit. Now, of course... Many people, fighters, non-fighters, you know, people in the MMA community have been very vocal about numerous things about the fight. And most of the most of the commentary has been exactly that, you know, Dada 5000, Dada 5000 calories, uh, drunk uncles, lots of jokes, obviously lots of jokes, lots of ribbing, the typical stuff. So Joe Rogan, who does the Fight Companion podcast 
spoke about the Dada 5000 Kimbo Slice fight. And um, the commentary he used definitely raises some eyebrows. But before I get into my take on it, I want to let you guys know what the deal is. When, 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 you know, discussing Bellator's quote-unquote fun fights, he said, and I quote, I think eventually they've got to let all that go. They can't keep doing those. They should stop. This is the last one. If they keep doing it, they're going to lose credibility. There's a lot of things they need to do. When asked about the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 fight, he said, I don't think Bellator thought that was going to be as bad as it was. I don't think anybody would have anticipated those guys would have gassed like that. That was the worst gassing in the history of gassing. Dada just didn't have enough gas. I kind of get that he wants to fight legitimately and he's got to take that paycheck, but I just wish he had a real strength and conditioning coach or trainer. But we're here talking about him. He got that. He made some money. Now, here's, here's where the, the, the commentary gets into questionable territory. When asked about how bad Dada 5000 was, he said, yeah, his heart stopped. It was filled with cheeseburgers, fried chicken, and orange soda. Again, Joe Rogan said, yeah, his heart stopped. It was filled with cheeseburgers, fried chicken, and orange soda. <laughs> Slick says grape soda, but again, as if you hear that, do you feel that that was racially charged commentary? Before I get any further, I want you guys in the chat to tell me, do you feel that that was racially insensitive? And I only ask because I want to hear from you guys. We got some African-American uh, audience members in the chat. I want to know what they think. Um, and the reason I'm asking this is because... As soon as that that commentary made the light of day and hit the internet, uh, people automatically said exactly that, that it was racially insensitive. Slick, who many of you may know or may not, is African-American. He said, it is racially insensitive, but it was probably true. Okay, now I'll take it a step further. If somebody said to you, do you live on fried chicken and orange soda, and I'm only pointing to our African-American audience members, would you be offended just off that commentary alone? Val says Joe Rogan is calling it like he saw it. Okay. So with that said, let me tell you guys the rest of what, what Joe Rogan said. He said he didn't train. There was no way he trained. I mean, he might've trained for a couple of days you should have lost 40 pounds before. It's not like you didn't know you're going to be doing you were going to be doing this. How about Kimbo? What the fuck was going on with him? He wasn't even amateur hour, really. If it was an amateur fight, you'd be chomping at the bit to fight those guys. I hope they're in my bracket. That's what you'd say. All you have to do is dance around for a few minutes and they're toast. How about that one exchange where Dada just laid down and Kimbo just rolled over on top of him? There was no takedown. I wonder if they were talking to each other. You want to take this to the ground, homie? <laughs> That's what that that these were Joe Rogan's words exactly. Like, do you want to take it to the ground, homie? So, like I said, people people were upset. People felt that the commentary was racially charged. Um, here's a couple of things. Joe Rogan is a comedian. 
And as such, his uh, his view on the world is a little different than the average person. Now, obviously, we can all make racial commentary. We all can do it. No one is excluded. But I think that if he would have just said he should have just stopped eating cheeseburgers and drinking soda without being specific in terms of, of fried chicken and orange soda, you know, things that are automatically associated with African-Americans, you would you would presume that people wouldn't have looked at it as negatively as they did. Um, it's funny because Dada 5000's family made a statement on, on Facebook and um, they said, uh, the Harris family is appalled at the overtly racist and offensive comments directed at Dada 5000 by Joe Rogan, who said in an interview that Dada's heart was filled with cheeseburgers, fried chicken, and orange soda. We don't recall Mr. Rogan ever challenging anyone with this amount of vitriol and ignorant racial overtones, all directed to a man who is still hospitalized. For the record, his family said, Dada lost 40 pounds over the course of three and a half months while in training camp where he had a boxing coach, an MMA coach, and a nutritionist hired by his team. As fight week approached, Dada was only two or three pounds over fight weight. He took this fight very seriously as evidenced by his gutsy performance. Mocking Dada 5000 with hurtful racist comments is despicable and divisive and has no place in the sport of mixed martial arts or in our society. Slick says, even though it was it is racially insensitive, I would not slam him for it. A 300-pound guy should not be in the cage, period. So, let me let me explain something to you guys. Brock Lesnar had to cut down to make 265. Brock Lesnar walked around, you know, he walked around 280, 290, some say almost 300 pounds, and he would cut down to 265. Now, a case can be made, Brock Lesnar is a special human being. This is true. Brock Lesnar is a freak of nature. You know, he is he is in a separate category. It's like men, women, children, beasts. And and he is in that category. I mean, you know, it's it's different. And there's plenty of big dudes that cut down to 265. And and they've cut down with, with minimal issue. My biggest concern going into this is the fact that this guy had potassium levels that gave him renal failure. Like this guy was was moments away from keeling over dead. The guy's heart stopped. You know, it, it's crazy. It is crazy to me that, you know, it, that people don't understand the elephant in the room. Uh, listen. If Dada 5000's blood type was fucking Kool-Aid man and the motherfucker had an irregular heartbeat or looked like he was dehydrated, somebody should have noticed. Simple as that. There's, There's no way that you cannot notice that. I'm sorry. It's impossible. Mortis says, what I don't understand is that you have been training for three and a half months and lost 40 pounds. An athlete would still be in better shape than what he came in at, whether he was still overweight or not. Val adds, he took stacker three, five times a day for three months. (laughs) Shit. Wow. 
Slick adds, Brock Lesnar's 300 pounds of muscle. Dada 5,000 have 300 pounds of gut hanging off of muscle. Mortis adds, your stamina should have been built up enough that where you don't gas in 10 minutes. See, here's here's the thing. As a, as a as a fight fan, as someone who's you know, here here's here's what happens. I'm not you know, I'm not a a small individual by any stretch of the imagination, and you know, I go to the gym three four times a week, hit the weights, do conditioning, flip tires. You know, we do the tire flips, the sled drags, the bag carries, all the fun stuff, and. You do that for a couple of weeks and your breathing is going to improve. Your lung capacity is going to improve. I mean, you know, even the the guys that I know that use the training mask and they train, their breathing gets better. I'm st- Whether it's cardio, whether it's weight loss, the fact is this fucking guy had ex- dangerously high levels of potassium and he was dehydrated. I don't understand... And I continue to stand by this, how no one noticed that. Period. You know? It's 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 insane. It's insane. I mean, you know, I, I love mixed martial arts. I, I think that you know, if I if I would have been younger, had more time, I could have got into it really aggressively. But I'm also a realist, and I know. That if I wanted to get into a cage right now at 35 years old, there would be an incredible lifestyle change that would need to take place. On top of the fact that I need to train two or three times a day consistently, it's the fact that you have to, there's a lifestyle change that needs to be done. It's not just, oh, I'm going to take three months and get ready and lose 40 pounds. There's conditioning that you have to work on. There's, there's, you have to, exactly what Slick just said, you need to live, you need to live in a gym for at least a year, at least a year. And okay, um, Slick, do me a favor, Kimbo Slice's fight against Ken Shamrock, can you tell me when that was? I just want to know specifically the date. The reason I'm asking Slick for this information is because I, after that fight, the Dada 5000 Kimbo slice uh, slice fight was announced a couple of, maybe a month or two after. And I want to just look at the timeline versus when Kimbo fought last to now. I'm curious. I'm curious. And and I and I want to know that only there so Kimbo Slice and Ken Shamrock fought June 20th, 2015 Bellator 138. Um Thank you. Thank you guys for that. So, 19th. Thank you, Slick. So, they fought June 19th, Bellator 138. And think about this. June 19th, 2015. So, let's say the announcement for the Dada 5000 Kimbo Slice fight, before it was made public, let's say they did a bout agreement in... Let's say there was a bout agreement that was sent to Dada 5000 and Kimbo. Let, let's, let's do August. August 2015. All right? August 2015, let's say there was a bout agreement that was, that was sent and signed. September, October, November, December, January, February. Six months. 
You had six months to get ready. Now, here, here's the thing. You had, and, and again, I'm using, I'm using estimates. If you went in there and you fought, and like I said, they told you, hey, you're fighting Dada 5000 in August. I mean, uh, the announcement is made in August. And, and, and this is me just throwing estimates out there. You had roughly six months to prepare between training and everything else. And I am, I am hard pressed to believe that in that six month time span, nobody would have noticed if there was anything amiss physically. And again, pre-fight testing, everything that's fine. But the day of the week leading up to the fight, something should have looked strange. You don't exactly get potassium levels that lead to renal failure in 24 hours. Even if he, if, even if they did the weigh-ins and he was fine, that should have been noticed even then. And that's what kills me. What kills me is the fact that nobody's acknowledging that somebody dropped the ball for the sake of this fight making it to television. Now, as many of you know, Pat Barry, who's been on the show before, um, he was very vocal about it. He spoke to MMA Junkie, and he said, um, on people criticizing Kimbo and Dada 5000, he said the following, everybody's talking all this crazy shit, but I doubt anybody's been in a fight before. If anybody has proof of that, go ahead and show me, and I'll shut the fuck up. But I'm pretty positive the guy fought his heart out. He got in there as prepared as he possibly could be, and then he fought. I've been supremely trained for fights, and at the end of the round, at the end of round one, I've been exhausted because I gave it my all. Kimbo Slice fought this guy so hard that the dude's heart fell out. When asked about the collapse, he said, "If he wasn't ready to fight, then that means a lot of people need to be fired." The doctor who cleared him. His coaches, his family, his teammates, the officials. He added, with regards to the fight itself, it wasn't the most technical fight. It wasn't the most beautiful display of MMA, but it was the most entertaining fight on the card, and it was an awesome display of heart, in my opinion. Shane Carwin couldn't fight for more than nine minutes when he fought Brock Lesnar. Maybe he should have never been signed to the UFC ever, right? I've been tired in fights before. Maybe I should never fight ever in my life. Hey, remember when Ronda got kicked in her face? Maybe she wasn't ready for that fight. That should have never happened, right? He says, the guys trained, they got in the ring, and they fought. And one of the guys, one of the two guys, not only fought, but he fought beyond exhaustion to where his body started giving out. He kept fighting. He was dying, and he kept fighting. He fought so hard, his heart and everything else gave out. Now, uh, you know, I like Pat. I'm I'm a fan of Pat. But if you're fighting to the point where you are almost on the brink of death and nobody thinks that there's anything wrong with that, that is a problem. I'm sorry to say it. The You know, if you're fighting for your life to not get killed, I can understand. But you're fighting, it's sanctioned, there's rules in place. I just, I, I don't feel that the views that people are, are expressing on this are indicative of, of what you got to do. You you know, it's like what Slick just said, unless you're saving the universe, you should not be fighting till you die. And, and, and I just, I, I feel, I feel something is definitely amiss 
with regards to this. And we may never find out. I mean, Bellator, like, like, you know, Joe Rogan said in his statement, Bellator may look at this as an opportunity to be like, listen, we're going to get out of this crazy fight game and just start putting our, putting on good, compelling fights with the guys that we got. There's too much at stake. There's too much safety at stake. There's too many risks. And again, was Dada 5000 in shape? Wasn't he in shape? Was his blood type fucking Capri Sun? Who knows? But the fact is that the guy had heart failure from dangerously high levels of potassium after his fight. Was he using a diuretic? Was, you know, was he using stuff that maybe couldn't have been found in testing that may have impacted his performance? We will never know. But the fact is that if you're going to put Kimbo Slice in the cage ever again, you're going to need to put him in there and you're going to make sure to give him ample notice so that he can get himself in legitimate fighting shape. I hate to say it, but if you're going to go in there and get the guy in there for the sake of a freak show performance to spike the rating a little bit, you're putting the guy's safety at risk. You know, like that's, I just, I just, I'm really, really annoyed at the fact that nobody's looking at how this fight came to pass in the first place. If this guy was on the quote unquote proverbial deathbed after the fight was over. I don't know, man. Something is incredibly sketchy. And of course, if I hear anything else or anything new, anything else comes up, I will definitely get into it with you guys. Now, we got to talk about the big one, um, UFC 196. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos uh, announced that he had broken his foot and that he was unable to fight Conor McGregor at UFC 196. Now, this was... This was historic for many reasons. Obviously, this was our first super fight where the, you know, the 155-pound title was on the line. Um, fans were really excited, and Rafael Dos Anjos broke his foot. I mean, the guy put up a photo, and that motherfucker's foot is broken. <laughs> there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That guy's foot was broke. There's no hiding that. So... Obviously, there were a lot of things on the table. It's like, do we scrap the fight and promote Misha Tate and Holly Holm as your as your main event, or do we take Conor McGregor and give him a fight just as just as entertaining and with the potential to generate fireworks? Now, obviously, many people were looking at it and they were saying, "Oh, well, you know, Donald Cerrone just came out of a fight." And he, you know, he had no damage. Maybe it should be Cerrone and um, Conor McGregor. Those guys have pre-existing beef. Um, compelling fight. Could be contested at 170 or or at 155 if need be. But, um, you know, the thing was, wasn't McGregor. Lots of fighters were called up. Lots of fighters were trying to get, were given the opportunity. Um, Jose Aldo was called. And they were like, yo, Jose, you want to fight? You want to get the rematch? Uh, Jose's coach said that Jose was not in shape to fight and that he would be declining the fight with Conor McGregor. Now, there's two camps here. Either there's the camp that says that Jose Aldo is, you know, he's usually in shape. So why wouldn't he take this opportunity, especially if it would have been for the belt? The other camp 
says that Jose Aldo just took the easy way out. Here's here's how I see it. Jose Aldo, when he was champion, you know, pulled out of a fight, you know, and made sure that the fight between him and McGregor went down on his terms. And I think that if he wanted his belt back, this would be a prime opportunity to get in there, catch McGregor essentially, uh, you know, with his eyes closed. And I say this because McGregor was training to fight Rafael Dos Anjos, different fighting style. Jose Aldo could have came in there and who knows, it could have been an upset. But again, he opted to, his management opted to say that he was not in shape and um, Jose Aldo didn't get the match. Then they reached out to Frankie Edgar. The UFC says that Frankie Edgar passed on the fight. Frankie Edgar says that the UFC is full of shit and that he was injured. That's why he couldn't fight. And of course, there was a laundry list of other people that wanted to fight McGregor because everybody knows that fighting Conor McGregor is going to put a lot more dollars in your bank account. We got to call a spade a spade. The guy has an entire country that tunes in. A lot of money is on the table when Conor McGregor fights. Whether you love him or you hate him, the guy is definitely in the driver's seat. So, everybody thought it was Cerrone for... Pretty much the the bulk of the day and then later on in the evening, it was announced that it would be Stockton's Nate Diaz squaring off against Conor McGregor. Now, obviously, if you guys are well-versed in mixed martial arts, you know that the Diaz brothers are notorious shit talkers, uh, pot stirrers. Those guys, they do, they, they know how to really build up the buzz for a fight. They're incredibly skilled at it. And they definitely step it up and deliver when they get in the cage. Um, seeing McGregor go in there and fight Nate Diaz is tremendous. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of shit talking at stake. They're fighting at 170. There's a rumor floating around that if Nate Diaz, if uh, McGregor beats Nate Diaz, that at UFC 200, Conor McGregor would fight Robbie Lawler for the 170-pound title, which is fucking bananas and again that is a rumor but if it's true that is insane now obviously mcgregor's gone on the records on record saying that he wants to win the title in each weight class he wants to win a title in each weight class whether at the same you know being champion in all three divisions at the same time or not um you know who knows but the fact is that it's it's a crazy 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 goal and I don't think, I, I'm not sure he's going to get there only because you could talk shit, but fighting Robbie Lawler is a different ball game altogether. You know, you could talk all the shit you want, but Robbie Lawler is a psychopath. He is a controlled psychopath. As soon as that cage door closes, it is a symphony of violence. It is the cage being painted with the blood of him, of his opponent, and even his own. And it is, it is... It is always a spectacle to watch. The guy, the guy's in a different class. This is a guy who ate legitimate shots from Johnny Hendricks, considered one of the hardest punchers in MMA, and he persevered like nothing and finished an incredibly dangerous Johnny Hendricks. Again, you can't, these are things you cannot, you, you know, you can't sweep under the rug. You know, you can say, oh, but Conor McGregor has impeccable striking and blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. 
But Robbie Lawler is a different caliber of athlete. Hell, Donald Cerrone is a different caliber of athlete. But in any case, we get to see uh, Ireland versus Stockton uh, in March. And of course, the press conference today, which we had on RageWorks.net, was incredibly eventful. Uh, Conor McGregor called Nate Diaz a cholo, which was incredibly hilarious. He said, um, you know, he goes, you know, Nate Diaz is two different types of dudes. He does, you know, the gun sign with his left hand and he makes balloon animals with his right hand. It was just an incredible amount of shit talking. Nate Diaz being Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor being Conor McGregor, even though it is not a title fight. It is, it is a fight that has the potential for fireworks any way you slice it. Now, obviously, we want to see, we want to see title fights. We want to see McGregor square off against the killers, uh, you know, in each weight class. But Nate Diaz is definitely capable of delivering, um, a, an impressive fight. Now, when it comes to the ground game, obviously, the Diaz brothers are well versed. Um, I think on the stand up, I think the Stockton slap, is not is not the same as you know knockout power that McGregor has, and I think that's going to be the great equalizer. We're going to see if the shit talking from Nate Diaz is going to be uh, as prevalent with the potential of you know getting knocked out. I mean, Nate Diaz is one of those guys; he's very durable, and he can take an ass kicking. So we'll see what happens. But the build up alone and the press conference itself was out of this world. It was amazing blew my mind. I'm like, yo, these guys are going to, these guys are going to fight right now, but, um, I'm excited for the card. I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be one for the record books and the buildup alone is going to make it a can't miss. Now I did want to talk about a couple of things that we kind of had on the back burner to close things out. Um, first and foremost, I do want to get into uh, Bellator's kickboxing announcement, which they said um, they're going to be launching a kickboxing arm uh, later this year. Uh, really looking forward to that. I think that it's going to be a very interesting outing for Bellator. I think kickboxing is an incredibly underrated sport, and with the right marketing, can definitely find a niche here in the U.S. Um, if you guys have watched Glory or any of the Dream kickboxing matches, you'll know that they're incredibly, they're super exciting to watch. A lot of great talent coming out of kickboxing. Uh, you know, Alistair Overeem uh, was a K1 champion guy. You know, you guys know about his his legendary striking. Uh, a lot of guys, Tyrone Spong. Um, you know, Tyrone Spong is a guy that everybody, you know, he kind of just came into his own after Overeem uh, left for Strikeforce, later the UFC. And I think that there's a lot of great talent in the kickboxing circuit that I'm sure at some point will transition to MMA, but I think right now would definitely be uh, really, really great roster candidates for Bellator's kickboxing venture. Uh, We'll see what happens. Once I get the details for the debut event, I will share it here on Rageworks and, of course, on MTR as well. Um, The other thing I did want to talk about, and this is um, what I'm going to use to close things out, I did want to talk about, and this is something that many people have been, you know, they've been very, very vocal about. I want to talk a little bit more about um, Ronda Rousey and what happened uh, after her admission that she had contemplated suicide after losing to Holly Holm. Uh, The story continued to pick up steam. 
uh, the last couple of days. Countless fighters have given opinions about it, including Brock Lesnar. And um, the thing I did want to add, and I'll use this as the closeout, is that shortly after all this stuff broke, Ronda Rousey went and said that she wanted, you know, she wanted to be left alone. Um, you know, it was shared by the media, et cetera, et cetera. And the problem is that, you know, when you're incredibly accessible, like Ronda is on social media, whether it's through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, the fact is that I think psychologically it messes with you. Obviously, you got your trolls and your armchair analysts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I just feel that sometimes in situations like what she's currently dealing with, you know, obviously the psychological issues from her fight with Holly Holm and, you know, the revelation about contemplating suicide. I think this is one of those instances where you need a social media break, you know, just, just delete all your Facebook, Twitter, all that shit, delete it from your phone or, or whatever the case may be. And just step away for a little bit, get your head on, right? Get out of the public circle because what's going to happen is no matter what you put up, no matter what you put up on, on any platform, someone's going to have something to say. I mean, when the Fallon show did a Photoshop photo of her where she, they actually made her arms thinner, she put out the original photo and obviously disputed that. But if you read the commentary for that particular Instagram photo, it's like, it doesn't matter anyway, you're still fat, et cetera, et cetera. Just, you know, people, people coming out of pocket saying really foul shit. And, you know, it's disheartening. I mean, as someone who, who is somewhat in the public eye, and tries to keep certain aspects of their life out of the public. You know, it's it's crazy because you got to you got to pick and choose what you put out there. And in a case and again, I'm not comparing what we do to anything on that level, but you also have to understand that this is the this is the price you pay when you get into any of this stuff. When you're in the public eye, whether you're a vlogger or a streamer or some sort of a media personality, you're going to have the people that come out of the woodwork and are incredibly terrible, you're going to have an amazing, you know, an amazing close, you know, close niche uh, group of support, close knit group of supporters. And then you're going to have everybody else. And the problem is that when you look at fighters like Ronda Rousey, um, who are, who are incredibly polarizing, uh, Conor McGregor is another fighter, incredibly polarizing, Chael, John Jones, you, you put yourself in a situation where, the the access to these fighters makes you feel closer to them, but sometimes people lose sight of the fact that these are still people also. I mean, you look at uh, Daniel Cormier and John Jones, people tweet them all the time about their fight, and, and occasionally people say some foul shit, and I've seen it. I've seen stuff, you know? And, of course, you know, the fighters, they block, they block those people. Uh, wrestlers do the same thing, but you would be surprised the stuff that creeps through on some of these social media channels. And I think in Rhonda's case, she'd be better served just, just taking a break from it. You know, it's, it's the only way, like Slick just said, just take a break, remove yourself from the spotlight. You know, if you're going to start training camp, you know, you could chronicle some updates, but nothing crazy. You know, you want to put up some videos of working on the heavy bag or working on striking. That's fine. You want to put photos from a red carpet. That's fine. But controlled sporadic, nothing crazy. Because what ends up happening is people, you're going to end up looking at the, at what you posted and somebody's going to say, you know, you're a fat ass or you're a whore or, you know, whatever. Here, I mean, I'm going to give you guys a good example. Excuse me. Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon utilizes 
social media like she should. And occasionally, there are people, like she'll post a picture of her out with her kids or doing something with Triple H in a non-WWE setting. And, you know, people will be like, oh, look at those tits. Or, yo, you got a fat ass. Or whatever the case may be. And sometimes it's pictures of her with her kids. With her children. Which is crazy. And and again, I'm not saying that that's right or that's wrong. I'm just saying that as a human being, would you want somebody to say that to one of your family members? And I'm just I'm just being completely on the level here. Not even, you know, being, you know, Mr. MTR or whatever the case may be, whatever you guys view me as, just being a human being. And, you know, I I see that stuff and I just look and I go, this is why people don't like social media because of that exact reason. You know, pictures with their kids or you, you see that stuff and you're just like, wow, you know, it's fucked up. Or Charlotte, Charlotte's a good example. She puts up, you know, a picture of her and her dad and people are just like, yo, fuck you. You're a piece of shit. I hate you. You fucking suck. You know, and I, and I can understand you're going to have your detractors and that's fine. If somebody doesn't like you and they're like, yo, I, I don't like you or you suck. But, you know, when it's like, you know, really, really crass commentary, especially on photos that are totally harmless, Totally harmless stuff. It really makes you question what is going on in the world. And for someone like I said, for someone like Rhonda, you got to take that back seat. Delete that Facebook. Delete that Instagram off your account. Maybe you have a, a personal assistant put up sporadic updates and step off. Maybe that's what you need to do. Because you being in the public eye so much with so much that you got going on, it's, it's doing you more harm than good. I understand you got to promote the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and you got to promote this thing and you got to promote that thing, but just keep it within the sphere of just that and keep it moving. Otherwise, like I said, you're going to look, you're going to be like, oh, you know, let me see, let me see how many likes this, this, uh, photo shoot got. And then you're going to read something like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grabbing my balls looking at this picture or something terrible, you know, like, like you got to think about that sometimes. Do you really want to read that? I got a letter not a letter. I got a video, a comment on YouTube for a video I did years ago on the My Take Radio YouTube channel. It was a video I did for Dragon Speak, for the Dragon Speak app on for Android. And this lady said, let me see if I can find that. I want to read you guys what this lady wrote. Cuz I I thought I thought it was I I really thought it was a joke. And um let me see. You guys are going to love this. So let's see if I got it here. Uh, Yes, I'm going to read you this. So I did a video on YouTube for Dragon Mobile Assistant. And this person, her name or this person's name was Deceived Davis. And I want to see if I can find a comment because it is it is so insane. It is so insane that nobody would believe it if, if I told them. They said this technology tur- this technology it, it is a woman sorry this technology turned my christian husband into a master of deception and lies today's i today i gave up on a 26 year long marriage with a man i loved with all my heart i blame this app <laughs> this app created a culture of deception 
and lies between my husband and I. I kid you not, this person deceived Davis, wrote this. I, I didn't even believe it. I'm like, I'm like some th- this is a joke. Somebody's lying. But sure enough, they wrote, they wrote that. I'm going to see if I could, uh, this was it. I, I'm not, I can only cut out the excerpt because I don't want to play the video on YouTube. But look at, the, look at this excerpt. I, I couldn't even believe it when I read it. I'm like, yo, I'm like, is this person crazy? Like legitimately crazy. It was Dragon Mobile Assistant. <laughs> it, it Dragon, yeah, the Dragon Personal Assistant. Yep, that is the app. That is the one, Val. But that's the that's the commentary again. The, I recorded that video, no joke. Like when I first started running MyTakeRadio.com, like way back when. Uh, the date on the video is. July 27th, 2013 was when I was when I recorded that video. And this person wrote this comment on February 18th. What the hell does that tell you about people out there? Fucking craziness. But I figured I'd share that with you guys. In any case, uh, that little rant is going <laughs> to is going to wrap up the the MMA news for this week. Uh, let's switch gears, jump into some wrestling Lots to discuss, fast lane, raw, and everything in between. Let's get to it. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, let's get into WWE Fastlane first. I want to pick a couple of matches out. Oh, these head these headphones, the cable is way too short and it's pissing me off. Um, want to pick and choose a couple of matches and um, share my thoughts on them. Not gonna go match by match because obviously we all know what the hell happened. Um, I got to talk about Kalisto and Del Rio's two out of three falls match. Uh, really, really solid. I thought they were going to give the belt back to Del Rio. I really thought they did. Um, but they're really invested in Kalisto. The crowd was really behind them. Lots of great spots. Lots of really great offense. Um, you know, I was really, really impressed. I think that giving him the victory with the roll up on the rebound, you know, for the three count was good. I think it was a step in the right direction. And I think that it also showed that there is a place for a guy like Kalisto after, you know, Rey Mysterio's success. I think that Kalisto has all the tools to not only be a capable and, you know, willing upper mid Carter, hell, even main eventer, but I also think that he's marketed in such a way. Oh God, what the fuck? <laughs> the communique I just got is is god awful. I cannot even acknowledge this. Christ. Um anyway, as I was saying, you know, Kalisto viable superstar, solid performance against Del Rio, and I think it's a he's a performer that you can utilize not only to quote unquote grab the Latino audience, but I think also as a guy that can be a mainstay in your mid-card hell, 
even on your main card if you wanted to take it there. I think as a uh, as a kickoff show match, which annoyed me to no end, I think it was a great way to get the ball rolling. That's for damn sure. Um, the Divas Tag Team match, I understood what they were going with, and I understood the dynamic between Becky and Sasha and trying to trying to drive that. But I felt that the tag match was incredibly disjointed. I felt that the uh, the NXT Divas just they. There was just a, a a really really big contrast of styles, and you can see that, especially with Tamina. Tamina came into WWE well before the NXT program and anything else, and it shows. You know, she has very very robotic movement, uh, not fluid, and the, the scary part is that you know she she's one of the mainstays in the division, and that's not to say that Tamina is terrible, but it's to say that. I feel that the women that are currently on the roster would benefit from popping up on NXT once in a while and mixing it up with the talent down there only because it would allow them to be able to work more fluid. Even Naomi, I don't know what's happened with Naomi over the last couple of months, but her wrestling, which used to be so fluid and so tight, was, you know, it just not sloppy, but definitely not as crisp as it usually is. And that again, that's to say that uh, Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks are, you know, well-versed and more experienced. But I also feel that Naomi and Tamina have been on the roster long enough that they should have had substantial improvements. Um, Tamina, I understand. Again, you know, she's a little bit more limited. But Naomi was well on her way to being a mainstay and the face of that division. And I think part of it was obviously the the, the necessity to, to put her on Total Divas and, you know, kind of build off of that. I think that that was a big problem. And I think it definitely hurt the overall development of her as a performer. You know, her overall development as a performer. And I think that match definitely showcased that. Ziggler, Ziggler's match with Kevin Owens was tremendous, as should be expected. Um, Kevin Owens t- continues to impress week in and week out. I think that Dolph Ziggler is at the stage where a heel turn needs to happen only because his character, I think his character has hit a bit of a plateau. I think Owens is on a completely different level. I'd really like to see Owens start working a program with maybe AJ Styles. I think that would be a tremendous match for WrestleMania, unless you start going into, you know, bringing Sami Zayn up, but I think they're not going to do that because it's too soon. Plus Sami has an appointment with Nakamura during WrestleMania weekend, but I definitely feel Ziggler needs the heel turn and Owens impressed as usual. Slick says, I think Naomi is feeling burned for real. And Val adds, Naomi got fucked over by the Bellas getting the push over her. I I, I got to agree. I have to agree. I think Naomi, in terms of feeling burned out, I think definitely the juggling of Total Divas and, um, you know, an active wrestling career was definitely a big problem. I also feel that the Bellas definitely squashed. Well, no, I think burned out too because if you watch Total Divas and they made sure to show highlights of that often, she always had a tough time being on that show and trying to, you know, be a character and not be a wrestler. I remember there was this whole big thing and I think Jey Uso and Jimmy Uso were used on Raw for that where she just, you know, she just couldn't she couldn't get it together to play a heel. And I remember that because they were showing highlights. They did a joke about it. I believe it was on Talk Soup. 
No, was it on the suit before it went off air? It was somewhere, and they were talking about the fact that she can't play a villain. And, you know, I have to agree. I think Naomi, she's just a, a, her, the way she presents herself, you know, she looks friendly. She looks like a nice person. She just doesn't look like a heel. And I think that's part of it. It doesn't come off believable on top of the fact that I think that when she had the potential to be a viable face, they were too busy, like what Val just said, focused on the Bellas. We'll see what happens, but I think that Naomi's going to continue to get lost in the shuffle unless somebody decides to really start pushing her as the face of that division. I mean, if Brie Bella doesn't come back and... I mean, if uh, Nikki Bella doesn't come back and Brie retires, you never know. Maybe they'll start looking at Naomi as a viable face for the women's division, but right now she's kind of just lost in the shuffle of Charlotte, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks. The six-man tag match is a train wreck, was a train wreck, and nothing good came out of that match, even from what happened on Raw on Monday. Nothing good came out of it. It was That should have been the opening match for the pay-per-view. Well, for the pay-per-view, and I say that in quotes, instead of relegating Kalisto and Del Rio to that. It should have been the six-man tag, but... Unfortunately, I'm not in creative, and that's how they opted to go. The Divas Championship match between Charlotte and Brie Bella was surprisingly solid, but you can definitely see the difference in skill level, especially in that match. Brie Bella was serviceable. She had a good she had a good crowd response behind her. Um, I felt I felt it was good in that response, you know, in that respect. But in terms of just overall wrestling, not good. Definitely not. AJ Styles and Chris Jericho was probably my match of the night. Um, if I had to, if I had to give match of the night honors, it would either be Ziggler. It would be a three-way tie between that match, Kalisto and Del Rio, and Ziggler and Kevin Owens. Only because, again, AJ Styles' incredible chemistry with Chris Jericho, really fluid match, and it, it's also good because AJ Styles is learning the WWE style from one of the best hybrid performers to grace the roster. Chris Jericho was, is, you know, he can brawl, he can mat wrestle, and he can do high flying as as well as anybody. And I think him working with AJ Styles is helping AJ to transition that offense that he embodies as, as, you know, as something that's viable in the WWE, you know, on the WWE roster. I think, um, you know, the, the thing that gets me with this is that, We've already had, you know, the three matches, and each match got progressively better, but I think that you gotta definitely start looking to transition AJ to someone else, only because Jericho's time is always limited, and I'll get into that a little bit more with what happened on Raw on Monday, but the fact is that it was a stellar match, probably one of the best matches of the night. Like I said, it's tough to argue against Ziggler and Owens or Kalisto and Del Rio, but fucking phenomenal, phenomenal match. The um, the Cutting Edge Peep Show segment with The New Day was hilarious, and it really showed how masterful Edge and Christian were on the mic and how well they worked together, and honestly, it really made me miss seeing those guys on TV. I mean, it, 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 it definitely showed us that The New Day are on, a, are on a whole other level, but the fact is that you just saw how how awesome Edge and Christian are together and what they're capable of doing. I mean, obviously it opened up the floodgates for 
you know, stuff with, with, with all the other teams. But the fact is that, you know, Edge and Christian still have something to offer this business. I mean, you know, their, their little Edge and Christian show on the network is great and all. But I think that color commentators, something, especially with Edge. Edge has such great timing, uh, such great presence when, when he's on the microphone that he is severely underutilized in that segment only because he has so much more to offer same thing with christian there's always there's always a a great dynamic between those two guys and the new day um the new day definitely they stepped it up they looked really good out there holding their own against the veterans um but i i do feel that edge and christian just they still have so much to offer this business and utilizing them in that capacity would be it, it would be solid i mean slick said uh, put Edge on Raw and Christian on SmackDown. That way, both shows get better. I mean, that's a that's a cool way to do it. I you know whether in an authority figure role or or even as a commentator, I think I think it would be good. Like I said, both guys incredible chemistry, great understanding of the product, really know how to tell a great story, and severely severely underutilized. There's no way I'm going to talk about r Truth and Curtis Axel because fuck that match. Um... I do want to talk about the triple threat number one contenders match. Uh, a lot, there was a lot right in that match, and there was a lot wrong in that match. Obviously, we all knew it was a foregone conclusion that Roman Reigns was going to go over in that match. No shock there. Uh, but the story that Dean Ambrose told and Brock Lesnar told was really, really good. Um, I think that Lesnar doing the German suplex to Roman Reigns when he was giving Ambrose the Samoan drop was a tremendous spot. I think it was really well executed. I like that Ambrose went crazy and started hitting everybody with chairs. Very, very good. But I will say this, and this is something that I'm going to get into a little further during the the later part of the wrestling segment. But, you know, I I look on on my Facebook page, you know, I look on Facebook and and I look at my timeline and I'm seeing... You know, oh, Roman Reigns, blah, 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 duh, duh, this, that, and the third. Fuck Roman Reigns, he sucks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And listen, I understand. Roman Reigns is not good. Not good at all. On the contrary. Probably one of the one of the most, you know, subpar guys out there. But he is doing a job. And when I say that, he is punching a clock and going to work like the rest of us. He is following orders, and that's what it is. If creative and Vince says, Roman, you're going over. Roman, you're going over. For You know, a lot of people that jump on social media, and they're, they're, there's all this vitriol and all this stuff, and, and you know, shitting on, on Reigns. Listen, Reigns is not good. Reigns doesn't deserve to be a main eventer for at least another couple of years. I'm, I'm 100% honest in that assessment. But I'm also fully aware of the fact that Roman Reigns is an employee. The guy is punching the clock and going to work like the rest of those guys. If you want to be frustrated about the direction of the company, you got to look at creative. You got to look at creative. You got to look at at Vince and management. You have to look at all that stuff because that's what has, those are the people that have the keys to the kingdom. You know, Roman Reigns goes out there, has a passable match with Ambrose and Brock and told a really, really good story. Now, does that say that is that indicative of Roman Reigns being a a stellar performer? No, not at all. But he was capable of telling a good story. 
Um, if anybody had more to benefit from that match, it was Ambrose because Ambrose took a lot of punishment and it really helped put his character over. I, you know, we, we talk about matches, you know, matches putting people over and making them, you know, go up to that next level. And this triple threat match was definitely a match that, that, that made Roman Reigns step up, but it also made Ambrose be the guy that is willing to go to any lengths necessary, even if it means cracking somebody with a chair to get to the next point, you know? And, and, and that's, and that's the thing that I liked. I felt that it really gave us a a, a better understanding of what they're doing with Ambrose. This is a guy that the frustration set in. He brought in a chair. He started cracking everybody. Didn't give a shit. Um, and, and the thing was it cost him. And I think that telling the story that way, a guy that's so insane, so over the top that he's willing to jeopardize his opportunity, his health and his well-being all for the sake of the match is something that that really is capable of telling a good story. Now, again, I'm not saying that that Roman Reigns is is an amazing storyteller, but I felt that his contribution to that match and his chemistry with Lesnar were were beneficial to making Ambrose look good in the process. Ambrose took a lot of punishment, a lot of punishment. And on top of the fact, Ambrose ate the pinfall with Roman Reigns, you know, when Roman Reigns hit him with the spear. That creates a different type of narrative also because it's like, hey, you pinned your best friend and you didn't pin the beast. And that's something that many people can talk about in terms of storytelling. Paul Heyman can use that in in a promo easily. It's like everybody that gets into a fight with Brock Lesnar beats Brock Lesnar, but they never pin the beast. And these are the types of things that are going to add different layers of storytelling to the narrative, especially with Ambrose. And I'll get into that in a few minutes when we talk about Raw. But I think that what they were trying to do at Fastlane with Roman, Lesnar, and Reigns worked only because it was done for the sake of getting each guy over for different reasons. Like I said, Ambrose benefited because he was an underdog, a psychopath, and he really showed that he belongs in the main event. Roman, of course, got the opportunity to work with, you know, a guy like Brock Lesnar plus working with Ambrose, and that can only help him become a better performer. And of course, Brock Lesnar just continues to go out there and drop motherfuckers on his head, on their heads, you know, that's what he does. I mean, you know, arrive, suplex, and leave. Like, that's it. I mean, obviously, Lesnar is a polarizing individual. Some people can't stand him. Some people think that, you know, he's just there getting a paycheck. It's It varies. It varies between, you know, people love him or hate him. For me, personally, I think Lesnar is a necessary evil. You know? <laughs> Jimbo Slice, fuck Ambrose. I take a lot of punishment watching this trash. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know, Don Anderson says Ambrose wrestles in jeans and that bothers me. I just wanted to say that, you, you know, what the thing is, is shout out to Don Anderson, tumbling with tumbleweed on block talk radio. Make sure to check it out. Um, the thing that gets me is, you know, Brock Lesnar is like I said, a necessary evil. We have a roster that's essentially depleted and WWE is, is making super uh, new stars at a snail's pace legitimately at a snail's pace and on top of that they're investing all their energies in the guy that is the furthest thing from over being roman reigns so in this case lesnar is a necessary evil and it's unfortunate because again you got guys like neville you got guys like Kalisto, 
Big E, Cesaro, Sin Cara, Kevin Owens, the list goes on. Guys that you can start elevating slowly into those positions. But instead, you know, you got to go with what you know. And, you know, it's Roman Reigns in this case. But in any event, Fastlane as an event overall was pretty solid. Like I said, I've I've grown past expecting spectacles on par with the Rumble or Survivor Series, etc. Because, like I said, they feel like extended versions of Raw and SmackDown. Very, very few times do any of the filler pay-per-views really, really change my opinion to the point where I say, oh my god, this is the greatest pay-per-view of all time. They're all good for different reasons. But again, you you should always focus your energies on the big four. Rumble, Survivor Series, SummerSlam, and Mania. Everything else is just it's just Raw and SmackDown with bigger stakes. That's it, and better effects. And like I said, you know, and I've said it on numerous episodes, it's incredibly difficult to shit on something that you're getting for 10 bucks. And I say this because you can still watch countless other programs and not even watch the pay-per-views. I mean, there was a week where I only watched old stuff. I was watching old WCW stuff just because I wanted to take that trip down memory lane. That's not to say that, you know, I'm making excuses for the network or anything else, but it just puts WWE in a comfort zone where they don't have to take a lot of risks because they already got you $10. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's get into Monday Night Raw. Raw was um, interesting, obviously, with the leg- with the Vincent J. McMahon Legacy of Excellence Award, uh, which started the show off. Vince McMahon presenting the award to his daughter because I'd expect nothing less from Vince. And um, the biggest thing wasn't the fact that Stephanie McMahon got the award, but it was the return of Shane McMahon. The prodigal son returns. Uh, an incredible pop, a monstrous pop when Shane McMahon's music hit. Um, obviously, some really interesting storytelling came out of Shane's return, um, including an alleged secret deal between him and Vince and Shane McMahon coming back and wanting control of Monday Night Raw. Of course, this led to Vince doing what he does best, and that is be Vince, and put Shane McMahon in a match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Now, a couple of things. WrestleMania is, what, 40 40 days away, 39 days away, if I remember correctly, and it's very easy to presume that Shane McMahon is going to go and have a match with the Undertaker, and that's going to be it. But there's still forty, you know, there's still thirty plus days before that, and a lot can change. Many people were annoyed at the concept at Shane McMahon taking the spot from another performer to wrestle the Undertaker. Like I said, just you know, like I said just now, you have to remember that can change at any moment. Shane McMahon can get somebody to represent him to wrestle the Undertaker with with Raw on the line, or he can wrestle himself. Now, I don't know if Shane's been training or getting ready. I mean, you know, he looked he looked in decent shape when he was in the suit, but who knows? But the fact is that even though Shane McMahon is a tremendous player coach and has taken an incredible amount of risks in his career in WWE from being suplexed through windows by Kurt Angle to diving off the Titan Tron to, you know, just an incredible amount of punishment he's taken in the few times he's been in the ring. I, you know, the putting him in there with The Undertaker, obviously, the first question is, clearly The Undertaker is going to be working a heel in this program. 
Um, you know, other people are saying that Shane McMahon is going to be represented by John Cena and that's going to be Cena and Undertaker and that's going to be what they're going to go with. Obviously, Taker representing Vince. Um, some people are also saying that, and this is the kicker, that when Taker comes to Raw on Monday, that he's not going to do Vince's dirty work and that's going to lead to something as well. So again, there's a lot of different things that have been, that have, you know, there's a lot of different paths where this can go. Val says there's a rumor that he's bringing in the Bullet Club to take out The Undertaker. Taker loses, Shane gets raw, things change. Okay, interesting rumor. I think for me personally, the possibility of Shane actually making it to the match at WrestleMania is incredibly questionable. Um... Again, we'll see what happens. It was good to see Shane McMahon back, and it was something that no one expected. I, I like being surprised. You know, I like watching Raw, SmackDown, a pay-per-view, whatever the case may be, and, and genuinely being surprised as a fan. It makes you feel good. It makes you really just shut off your brain and enjoy the product. And that's what happens. I mean, when I watch Raw to prepare for the show, I watch it twice. Once I watch it, you know, Monday night with with, with my wife, we watch it while we're eating dinner. And during during Tuesday and most of Wednesday, I rewatch it, take notes for the show, and um, you know, I I watch it in a, in a critical sense. Now, I'm sure people are probably like, "Oh my God, you watch Raw twice!" Obviously, when I watch it the second time, I watch it on fast forward, and um, I take notes where necessary. But the fact is that when you look at it, you know, the the overall consumption of the product should be relegated to three schools of thought. And this is where I was when Shane came back. A, you know it's not always going to be great and you accept it. B, you're going to be extremely critical. Or C, you're just going to be entertained and you don't really give a fuck what happens. You're just watching wrestling. And I kind of went through all three of those Monday night. Obviously, you know, seeing Shane O'Mac come back, I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, that we were joking, uh, me and Jimbo Slice, about the uh, Mean Street Posse. You know, Pete Gass and Joey Abs and those guys. Were they going to come back and uh, help Shane O'Mac? You know, like, we were joking about that shit. And that's what I mean. Like, it was seeing that stuff, you know, you, you shut off your brain. You go down memory lane. And you start remembering all the crazy shit that Shane McMahon did. Um, an interesting rumor that came about earlier today was Kurt Angle finishing up with TNA and Kurt Angle being representing Shane McMahon at WrestleMania, given their history, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of crazy stuff, and um, I don't know how many matches Kurt has left anyway, so that's a possibility too. I, I think Taker and, and Angle would be a tremendous match. I think they would tell a, a really compelling story. Um, and it would, you know, it, Kurt Angle's definitely a guy that can go out there and, and help Undertaker to a really good match. I, I definitely think that, but, um, you know, it, it was cool. It was cool to see Shane McMahon back and it opens up, like I said, a, a, a wealth of possibilities on to, as to what happens next. Um, the new day and the Lucha Dragons match with Neville, I was bummed out because I really feel that Neville's become like the third Lucha Dragon and we keep seeing that match every time. Um, you know, it, it was a good match. Not, not to say that it was, it was terrible, on the contrary, all six of those guys tell uh, a tremendous story in the ring. It was just, again, a repeat of what we've seen before. Um, 
Paul Heyman came out. He cut a promo that I almost felt was uh, similar to the slam poetry from 21 Jump Street 2. When it's like, Brock Lesnar, my client, suplexes you on the head. Dead. Dead is what you are. Like, that's what I felt. I felt that the earlier part of Paul Heyman's promo was fucking slam poetry. And it was funny because all I visualized was Jonah Hill doing the slam poetry in 22 Jump Street. Slick, can you find me that clip and post it in the chat room so people can see what I'm talking about? I, I mean, Paul Heyman knows how to tell a tremendous story. Um, Ambrose, of course, came out on the ambulance after being attacked earlier in the evening. Um, it, we, we knew that Ambrose was going to come back. We knew he was going to either come back and steal a car, come back on a unicycle, whatever the case was, and, and attack Brock Lesnar. And that's exactly what happened. Um, of course, this sets up Brock Lesnar, Ambrose, street fight. And, um, you know, the thing about this is, that this is an opportunity for you to pin Brock Lesnar without actually pinning him. Meaning that in the case of Dean Ambrose, Dean Ambrose could win this match against Brock Lesnar because it's no holds barred. He could hit him with a car. He could drop a forklift on him and pin him that way. Whatever the case may be, all options are on the table. And because of that, there is the possibility that Ambrose may go over in this match. But we'll see. I think that, you know... Obviously, the the betting man is going to say that Lesnar is going to go over, but I think this is a good opportunity to put the match in Ambrose's re- in Ambrose's wheelhouse and put him over at the expense of the Beast. We'll see if that's the case. Um, the Usos in the Ascension was fucking god awful for obvious reasons. Um, AJ's exchange with Chris Jericho led to that match with the Social Outcast. Maybe they're creating a tag team. Which, excuse me, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with Jericho and AJ Styles being a tag team. But I also think that AJ's in a situation where, you know, you want to give him his WrestleMania moment. I mean, that's why he's there. And putting him in a tag team with Jericho may not be the best course of action for that. I'm going to take a a wait-and-see approach. As for the social outcasts, they're growing on me. I realized that... And and some of you may may have noticed this already. Bo Dallas is the human version of Olaf from Frozen. Every time he talks, all I see now is Olaf from Frozen. It, I, I'm like, I'm looking at him. He has the white ring gear now. Like he has the really weird ring gear and it's like white and blue. And I'm like, holy shit, this motherfucker's Olaf. Especially when he's like talking about being friends and all this shit. I'm like, oh my God, he really is an outcast from frozen. It was, you know, it was, it was terrible. Um, but I think that in terms of just doing something interesting with, with those guys, Jericho and, and, you know, AJ were the guys to do that. We'll see what happens. The social outcasts, they're, they're filler. We know they're bad, but they, they're, they're kind of growing on me. Cause they're so, they're so fucking stupid. Uh, we got more truth gold dust shit, which I don't give a damn about. um, the Wyatt family took on Ryback, the big show and Kane again. And all of it led to Ryback walking out on those guys and the Wyatt family getting their win back. No one cares. You know, it's, Oh my God, you know, Ryback once again, wants to go at it alone. Crickets, legitimate crickets is all I heard. He's like, I want to walk. I want to be alone. I want to do it alone. All right, dude, whatever. Nobody cares. Um, Slick says, hopefully the League of Nations falls apart when Barrett leaves. 
You never know, bro. You never know. You might be right. Uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi again. We got another, you know, we got another outing and night and day. Sasha Banks and Naomi are on a different, on a, on a completely different level when it comes to wrestling. And it showed, um, you know, Becky Lynch, of course, saved her from the beatdown, et cetera, et cetera. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Sheamus and Roman Reigns was exactly what you would expect. Uh, the kickoff, the the kicker was Triple H showing up as, you know, the game and no longer, you know, corporate executive. You know, he had the leather jacket and all that shit. And, um, you know, he came out. He beat Roman Reigns up. Roman Reigns was a bloody mess. Um, the funny thing was that the crowd was actually cheering Triple H. And as soon as I saw that, I said, that's not what you guys want going into WrestleMania with your face, uh, with your lead face being booed and your number one heel being cheered. You don't want to do that going to Mania. Um, hopefully they can find a way to turn that around, man, because otherwise WrestleMania is going to be incredibly awkward with Roman Reigns being booed and Triple H being cheered. Um, Raw was okay. It wasn't terrible. I mean, for a post-pay-per-view Raw, the the return of Shane O'Mac was interesting. I think that was a step in the right direction. It does something fresh and new. We'll see what they do with that. Like I said, it was was unexpected and fun. Um, But in terms of Raw, post-pay-per-view, it's it's the road to WrestleMania. We'll see what the deal is. Um, There's a rumor that Shane McMahon's return may lead to the revival of the brand extension. PW Insider actually mentioned that, and they said that, um, you know, it would lead to Shane controlling Raw while the authority controls SmackDown. Um, You know, it's interesting also because the PW Insider noted that on the May 23rd Raw taping in Baltimore, it's listed as Monday Night Raw versus WWE. And this taping is supposed to be after the May 22nd pay-per-view, which was just changed to Extreme Rules. So, very, very interesting. Makes you wonder... If um, we're going to go back to the brand extension. And if so, are we going to have a separation of titles? Very, very interesting. Uh, Interesting rumor fueled by PW Insider. Uh, We're going to keep it definitely locked to PW Insider and countless other rumor sites just to see if that continues to be the trend. I'm curious if they're going to pull off that brand extension, if if people are going to be into that. I think it was good at the time. I think it helped... Uh, give some of the wrestlers other belts to go after and help them, you know, expand a little bit. I mean, like I said, bring back a TV title if you want to have one belt that's defended on both brands. But two champions isn't necessarily terrible. But again, we'll see what happens. I think that overall, um, Shane McMahon's return opens up some really good possibilities. And if the brand extension is one of them, I am all for it. Anyway, That is going to wrap up the wrestling segment. And with it, we're actually going to wrap up the show. Uh, Just a quick recap. Uh, The winner of our contest was Colin Salazar from Canada, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He was the winner of the five WWE pops. Uh, Got almost 200 entries. Want to thank all of you guys that participated and entered Uh, We're going to be doing more contests in the coming weeks, so there's definitely going to be more opportunities for you to win some stuff. So congratulations to Colin. If you are listening to the show, Colin, uh, feel free to send me your address, rich at rageworks.net. 
or MTR host at MyTakeRadio.com, either one, and we can get those figures out to you once Entertainment Earth gets the information. All right, aside from that, this episode, as well as any of our previous episodes, can be found on YouTube, on official My Take, uh, <laughs> uh, My Take Radio TV and official Rageworks are the two YouTube channels to find this and previous broadcasts. And of course, audio versions of the show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. We still are working on going on Google Play and also looking to go on Spotify as well. Figured I'd, I'd throw that out there as a little teaser. Uh, so definitely be on the lookout for my take radio and any of the other RageWorks network shows on Spotify and Google play as well. All right. I've given you my take on MMA and wrestling. I would love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official, uh, RageWorks. And of course on Twitter, you can do at my take radio or rage underscore works. If you're an Instagram user, you can look for RageWorks on Instagram. We're putting up lots of pictures still from Toy Fair. Over over 1,000 photos were taken. 615 were already watermarked. There's still 300 more I got to process. So definitely be on the lookout for more of that on Instagram. If you're on Snapchat, you can find RageWorks on Snapchat as well. Trying to do more with Snapchat, tell more stories, give people more behind-the-scenes stuff with regards to the show as well as try and do some contests there as well. All right, guys, on behalf of myself and the rest of the MTR and Rageworks crew, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of MTR. Make sure to join us tomorrow, or should I say today at this point, for the gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. All right, guys, I am out of here. Peace. 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 Peace.